We used to go to various places and actually they were just studying and trying to get firsts and weren't out drinking. It was like a ghost town on a Tuesday and Wednesday and thought, what's the point of going to university? What's the point of a first, eh? What can you do with it? Fuck all. Well, you can do both, can't you? Get first and drink. Oh, did you manage to do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here we go. Should we do anyway, it? Anyway, yes, let's go. Are we ready? Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Ori, and alongside me is Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. <laughs> and we are joined by Philip Ogilvie. Philip is a managing partner at AppLifting, an international software development studio tailored for startups, scale-ups, and enterprises. AppLifting is based in Europe, the UK, and North America. Philip, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. So, Philip, tell us, what is keeping Phil up at night? How is Phil? What is going on in Phil's world? Keeping me up at night is always going to be about the new technologies. In the world that we occupy, technology is rapidly increasing in advancement. We've got AI, got large language models. And when you're in a competitive space as we are, you need to make sure you've got the right people who've got the right tools, are equipped with it, so that whenever our clients come to us with new challenges, we're there to be able to address those challenges. And equally, being in the competitive world, the financial status at the moment, or the economic climate, means that a lot of businesses are not getting funded in the way they used to. Yep. Budgets have been cut, and a lot of the new startups are not getting the funding they once did. So when you take the competitive nature of our industry and the fact that business is smaller, you need to be you need to have an edge. You need to be differentiating yourself from the competition. So keeping me up at night is how we do that. And that's very much based around what we do and how we do it. Do you ever take equity in the companies that you work for? <laughs> Rather than being paid? We used to, um, but... It didn't go very well. It doesn't work out well always. (laughs) You don't often get that return. So unless I'm going to become a debt collector, I'm probably built to be a debt collector, but that's not going to be the basis around my career at the moment. But no, we don't. It's just so rarely that liquidity gets released. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the re- re- it's just almost naivety, isn't it, that it plays on that, you know, when you're 20, you're like, yeah, I'll be a shareholder. I'm going to be a millionaire. It's like, well, actually, I'll probably take 20 years before anyone sees any money sort of thing. Is it a very crowded space that you're in nowadays? I mean, yeah, it's crowded in locally where we are and also just internationally as well. And then you've got cheaper players in different geographies. Often geographies. India. It's a very popular India thing, this. Where yeah. are you guys based? So we were founded in Prague. So we've got 200-odd engineers in Prague. And my colleague, Jan, uh, came over to the UK with AppLifting three years ago and I joined two years ago. So we've been building it up in the UK for the last two years. But yeah, it, you're right. There are a lot of India shops. Uh, there are a lot of uh, shops down South America and they are cheaper, but it's the location that's important. And we find the clients like to have that personal touch where people actually have face-to-face contact so they're there to troubleshoot with does, you. does that mean you have to go to Prague quite a lot? It does. Damn it. How annoying. Particularly this time of year. It, it, it's a real Why drag. Why is it beautiful? Oh, the Christmas markets in Prague are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From in terms of, you know, running this business in three different territories, does that mean you're like flying around all the time or you sort of got really strong people locally? You know, that Jan's come here. Who's running Prague now? His mate or... <laughs> So Jan is one of the three founders. You've got Vrata and then you've got Philip Kirshner. And they are the ones that the, the, the figureheads within Prague. And as I said, all our engineering staff are in Prague. They're having Jan here, who's a senior software um, architect, solutions architect, he's our man on the ground here who can troubleshoot any technical problems with our clients while here. 
And who's a typical client? Big business, small business? We, we range from startups through to large enterprises. We had to have a slightly different approach here in the UK because when you're an unknown, you need to be able to build up a reputation. Yeah. So we've made it our position to make sure that we've got entrenched with large corporations and become partnership, become part of the community as well. So you've got to know us through London Partners and then we, we collaborate with the likes of EY and we've managed to build big clients in terms of FactSet and Telus Health in North America, trying to be able to establish our brand. But, I mean, building software, not, like, what are you building? Like, you know, give me a classic job. What, what, what are you building? It depends on what stages of evolution you are in company. So if you're talking about a startup, you're going to be talking about an innovation right from its ideation. We'll look at the product. We'll make sure that they've tested their hypotheses, make sure that the product will be fit for market before we've even put any code on paper. So, But then we will build it up to that MVP, the minimal viable product, to be able to release that to the market. But if you're talking about large enterprises, they almost like an SI. They'll be coming to us looking for a venture. SI? What's SI? Systems integrator. Systems integrator. So it's when they've, again, got a venture that they want to be able to build, but they've got various components which they've already pre-approved to fit in terms of their infrastructure, and we will lace them together and build the architecture around it. Is it not like a, the nightmare is keeping these things running? Isn't that what they always, you know, it's like everyone's always like, well, you can build a software, but you've got to keep it running. Is that, I mean, you, you have a long-term relationship, I guess. So that's what makes AppLifting slightly unique in terms of how we operate with our clients. We work very much in a hybrid fashion. So we will work alongside their people. So where they don't have the skills for this particular product that we're building, we'll upskill them. And at the end of the product, we'll make sure they're fully trained to be able to maintain and service that product so they're not locked into us as a vendor, so okay, they're completely independent. Yeah. I was just going to say, you mentioned um, new technologies. What are you most looking forward to that's coming down the track? Looking forward to or, or being slightly apprehensive about I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry to sound stereotypical, but how the advancement of large language models and AI in general and the different models that are being developed out, it's hugely exciting. It's scaring a lot of people, but I'm hoping we can look at it as an opportunity and a new tool. And as we've heard many times, many different ways of our life have evolved over the millennia. And we've just had to evolve with those particular advancements. And I believe AI is a step change in how we build technology and, and how we deliver it. And now we've got to use it as a tool and look at it as an opportunity. But we it is just exciting. I haven't quite worked out whether it's the saber-toothed tiger or fire kind of <laughs> choice. <laughs> I mean, is it also fair to say, I mean, these days, you know, people said for a long time now, we don't really write software. There's so many base platforms. We, we, we write stuff that's always built on something. I, maybe Ferris said, you're not, you never build from the ground up these days. It's always, and AI is another thing. I bet every client's like, I want AI in it, you know? Is it, it's like, put AI in it. Call it something that has the letters AI in the middle yeah. of it. It'll be fine. I mean, with AI, it's always, there's always misconceptions and people use AI just as a blanket brush but and it's quite often just machine learning yes we all want AI but is it actually fit for purpose and that's what you need to be able to make sure that whatever your business case is and whatever you're trying to build is a large language model or some derivation of AI going to be able to take you to your goal faster? And not necessarily always the case. But there are applications where in ed tech, in, in medical tech, in, in fintech, where it's actually being utilised and making the whole process far more efficient. 
Yeah, okay. And in terms of where you're trying to go as a business, what's the North Star for you? Typical answer would be to become a global superpower. That's not us. So the whole culture around uplifting is built around the people, and we are there to make sure that people inside our company are happy. And the way we want to be able to develop the company is we, we want to get great projects, we want to build in size, we want to build in revenue, but it has to be keeping the culture that we have at the moment. And the grand plan of Rata and Philip is at some stage the company will grow to the point that they're not needed and then they will hand, hand over the reins and responsibility to all the uplifting people within the company. Okay. Okay. There's actually a route to that now in the UK, but that's interesting, a sort of employee buyout. Okay, so... Or, we're not going to start talking no, about we're not EOTs, gonna talk about are it. we? No, 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 we're not going to talk about it. But no, it's going to be the second time for me today, and I don't think I can do oh, it. Oh, really? Twice. What yes. about... Really? You were talking about them earlier. Well, no, let's show them about them, because this this, this, this principle that companies owned by employees do, do better and stuff. It's, I mean, it's quite it's quite, a, it's quite a nice thing you're trying to say there. Is that is that your view as a business, or that's the culture you inherited, or...? Well, no, I that was the culture that I got introduced when I was first introduced to Jan um, yeah. two years ago up in level 39 and, and it was a I was brought into it straight away and I've now experienced I mean there was a certain bit of skepticism as to see how it would work especially in the, if you have any low times I saw how it would work when everything's going well but let's say you've got a couple of business hiccups I was interested to see how the mechanics of that would operate in a bad time and it, it has worked Are you transparent salaries across the firm? Completely transparent salaries we don't have a C-suite How to how talk about transparent salaries how does that work in reality? Do, do people not get pissed off and they're like, everyone knows what each other's are. I sort of, I'd be honest with you, I would, I think you'd be surprised, for example, let's take a clock, how many people know what everybody else earns. Oh, I'm sure they story. do. Everyone talks. Like no, it, I wouldn't be it surprised. It may not be transparent, but people talk yeah. to each other yeah they do but having it completely transparent as a firm I mean I, I had a client who, who did this very successfully and for years he's still a client he, he was saying to us to do it and then I saw him again for lunch he said don't fucking do it and I said why is that and he's like because I got one of my friends to do it and it's just destroyed their business and I was like ah. so basically it's he, he sort of worked out the next thing which is an interesting point that it's fine if you started with a culture that's always like that and you always built a business with transparent salaries but trying to suddenly then introduce it I mean do where, where do you find that you know would you what would be your advice would you say to another company yeah do it or I agree with you that if you were to go from a opaque salary system to a completely transparent one it's going to be a difficult transition I would say the one system that we've got in place which would help that transition is if you're going to have transparent salaries you've got to have a very uh, descriptive operating model with, in terms of what responsibilities are, what your competence levels are, and then have a framework which can actually showcase your own individual competencies and why you justify that salary or well, why you're Which system do you use out of interest? You know, uh, What system? Well, I assume that's an HR system or something to rate that, or did you build something? No, it's a competency model is completely bespoke okay. for, for, for uplifting amongst the engineers, amongst the, uh, the back office people, and they all have different levels which require to be adhered to to be able to attain a new salary and if you then 
step above in a competency model. It's then taken to the Council of Elders, which are our replacement to the C-suite. They are elected Council of Elders. Feels like they should all have long white beards. They, most of them do, actually. They're not white beards because they're considerably younger than me, but right. they've all got beards in Prague. Really? Not the girls. It might fix one of the biggest problems capitalism has, which is the disparity between the top and the bottom in terms of earnings, which has got particularly out of hand in PLCs and stuff. You know, I worked ours out the other day, and that's just fine. It's like it's quite it's quite a good ratio. But you know, I can't remember what they're at now. But it's like you know, the top are at five million. You know, it's at fifty times the salary of the the bottom person. Does that play a factor? You know that. You know, it's even harder for you to justify your earning because, on the other hand, to get real talent costs a lot of money. You know, there might be huge disparities between someone in Prague and the top man in London, as it were. Yeah, I agree. But, but that was one of the reasons why the business, well, the culture was built in the way it was to exactly negate that disparity between the top owners and the low owners, and to be able to drive it up. Because that, that's also the reason why, as we become more successful, all employees get paid more at the same time. And if you suffer, everything goes down? As we suffer, everything goes down. Wow. It's sort of a partnership. It is sort of a partnership. And, 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 and also, for your question about the talent, actually having this choice to work on the projects that you want to work on, we have, what's, we, we have a, a, an, ethics, um, an ethics channel on our Slack channel, which is our communication channel, which is where when we win a client project, that's not the end of the story. We take it into the ethics channel, which is when every single applifter, as the personnel in applifting are called, uh, they get to see the project. They can, one, look at it from whether it's a conceptually a good idea, whether they've got a past experience, which would say, actually, from my experience, you need to differ what you're doing or alter in terms or pivot your, your, your process. Equally, if they have any kind of moral conscious dilemma with it, whether it's, I don't know, adult industry or gaming or Hey, something. we've just been instructed by Marlborough. <laughs> is it, yeah. yeah. It's this one person who does all the unethical ones happens to be called Adolf, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the point is they, they can work on the projects they you don't want to. You have to have to. a nut. You've got to have a lot of people and a lot of projects. If we started sort of saying, oh, well, we'll only, you know, only do work, you have to be happy. I mean, there's some amazing I used principles. to do, my, the last firm I was at was quite... Quite big in gaming, and I refuse to work on it. In gambling gaming, you yes, mean? Gambling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not against video games. <laughs> no, no. Oh, those video I'm gamers. Really not get, apart from the fact that they've stolen large chunks of my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not against no, I mean, that's, that's it. Well, I think as professionals, we choose that. I never forget, I met this guy. He was a wonderful scientist and he, he'd worked out, he worked, makes missiles more accurate because they had, he'd built this thing out of like mobile, the time when just mobile phones had got powerful, this like 10 years ago. And so he could put a mobile phone in it because so when you fire a missile, it's actually fucking, you know, it doesn't know. But now with mobile phone, we can run a GPS and we can make it more accurate. And then I was like, okay, so can I ethically work for you? You're making it more accurate to hit your targets. Which so is a good thing. Yeah, that's good. But it's still missiles. You're still going to kill somebody. You're going to kill, it. you're going to destroy something. But the thing you meant to destroy, which is supposed to be not like something the bad. The thing you meant to destroy is probably a person who you don't like for some reason. Tricky. Anyway, I decided... I, <laughs> I'll let you guys argue <laughs> that one. <laughs> do, you, do you end up then, you take on a job and everyone's like, oh, I'm not touching that. You don't, we don't take on a job if people have said no. 
Oh, I see. There's like a note oh, the council, and you do you write them at council of elders. Yeah, we, 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 we've come back and it's it's received. And a Gandalf reckons uh-uh. you've had a cross or, or every uplift has a chance to put a cross or a tick in their thoughts. And if it gets a majority of crosses, then we don't take it. You must have lots of business though, is in then you've got enough business because that model starts breaking. When you're going fucking, that everyone's salary's going down. Everyone's like, well, you know what? Fuck it, let's do this one. So that was one of the dilemmas I had. So joining it, if you got if you have this culture and you have that decision making process and you're not doing well and then missile accuracy person comes in and goes yep shocked it yeah (laughs) but no they haven't so we haven't experienced that yet so i'll cross that bridge when you have experienced salaries being reduced across the board not yet okay you haven't experienced that so we'll find out whether it works when you know prague on fire following and do you do you pay more depending on location is yeah yeah you have to do a cost of living and you use some metric you just sort of because it's quite hard to work out cost of living actually there's a lot of websites that try but you know It, it, it is difficult but i mean again I, we, I've looked at it. I'm in the UK. Jan's in the UK. I've been we, to we think it's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they think it's fair. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. No, one, no one's come to me and just given me a grumpy look. There's some really unusual ways about how you're sort of running the business. And, and a lot of them, quite often the, when you set out and that, people set these things up in their early 20s. I'm going to work with my friends. We're going to be brothers. We're going to fucking... Down the toilet, absolute disaster, total naivety. But it sounds like it's kind of worked out. Why Why do you think? The Council of Elders? It's 11, it's 11 years that they've worked and the, the, the three founders are still there. And vast, we have far less churn in our company than, than most software development companies, which is fraught with churn. Why do I think it worked? I think it's got to have something to do with the people at the helm. And, you know, people really respect Vrata, Philip and, and Jan. I think they trust their judgment. And, and so you always have Philip and, and Vrata on the council. The other four are then rotated. I think, I think three is also a very good number. I mean, it doesn't always work out. I've seen it not work out fairly dramatically. But three founders feels quite stable, particularly if from the start you kind of work out what your roles are and stay in your lane kind of thing. It's, you know, I'm the one I always think of is Innocent Smoothies, where that worked really, really well with the three founders. Are they all very different? Yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, they're all very different, but they, they have a synergy and they work very well with each other. And you're right. You, you, they, it, I suppose each of them plug the gaps of the other. Yeah. Which is great. If they complement each other, brilliant. If you've got three people that all do the same thing, then you, you know, you've got a problem. And what, what do you think your biggest fuck-up is then in all of this? Where's it all gone wrong? At the moment in uplifting so far, I don't think we've made any fuck-ups. I'm sure they're going to come. And the fuck-up that I made uh, was years and years ago uh, in a trading job that I had where I was doing very well. And when, <laughs> when things were going very well, I, my youth... Uh, became very arrogant, I became very petulant, and I may have said a few things which probably didn't go down very well, and I lost many months of work, and it took me about a year and a half to be able to recover from it. What, in one incident, you had an outburst? Yeah. And you said something that was, uh, would it be considered like, you know, 
uh, inappropriate in all uh, circles. No, 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 not not inappropriate in terms of an HR thing. It was an arrogant thing to say. Right, uh, right. It was, it was petulant. It was arrogant, and as a result, it meant that I, I got taken off my pedestal pretty quickly, and it took me about a year to be able to recover. So I think what climb I learned, back up. Yeah, I learned, I learned from that a little bit of humility, and I learned that arrogance has no place. Do you think in business. that comes from sport, from rugby? There could be quite a like, come on, we're going to win this. We're the best yeah, in the world. We haven't we haven't really dealt with how you end up where you are yeah yeah no not yet as Andy's just alluded to you were a professional rugby player right I started off my life as a professional rugby player yeah I played for Saracen straight out of school right. um, that was you know, after playing England in schoolboy levels and that was where I wanted to be able to go and was lucky enough to get pretty much straight into the first. Are they, are they considered what the best club? Are they for for that's um, I'm I'm useless. That's a union or league. Which one is it? Rugby union. Union. Sorry, man. I know nothing. You're heathen. You're heathen. <laughs> but as Saracens, uh, they're the best, are they? I know the names. Halakins. They're definitely a team. Yeah, definitely a team. I've worked that out. Definitely one of the top teams. When I joined, they had just been heavily invested in by an avid supporter who brought in some international superstars, and we. Elevated right to the top of the Premiership very quickly, and it was it was coming out of school and playing with my heroes who had just been playing in the World Cup that only a few months ago. Amazing! Oh wow! And now I was in the same changing room playing rugby against them. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, that inspired me. But it can't have helped with the arrogance thing, or uh, did so, it? So. I didn't have any place to be arrogant because I was a young pup and if I had been arrogant in front of those, I don't think I would have lasted very long. Okay. I think it was just something inherently that came out for on that particular stage of my life. I, I was actually lucky enough to have pro- probably one of the best bosses I've ever had. He was a good mentor, but it was, no, that was my making. It was just, he'd given me open reign to be able to do what I liked and it all worked very well and as a result of it working very well, I let it get to my head. I guess that's the other thing that happens is the market has good times and bad times and so people join in a good time when it's like there were periods you know for 10 years where it's all just oh it just keeps going up and then you think you're a genius do you know what I mean and then the bad times come and it's like oh maybe not you know everyone's an idiot yeah that 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 year was it was eating a bit of a humble pie for quite some time but you know I I could do it. it it was I knew I had to do it and I knew I had to stick out with it what do you think the best advice anyone's ever given you I'm going to go with something my father said, if I can. Uh, my father, at a young age, and I've stuck with it, he said, work to a plan, stand on a plinth, and go in with a plunge. That's so nice. I, let's just be decisive. You know, you, you work something, you spend a lot of time strategizing over it, thinking what you're going to do, but eventually stop talking about it and just do it. Okay, I like it. And what did your dad do? My dad was, um, he was a, Surgeon, a doctor, mad scientist. Oh wow! Conspiracy theorist. Um, was he? Hedgerow protector. Um, Hed- what's a he- what's a hedgerow protector? Man protector. <laughs> so he he was all into his wildlife and protecting the English countryside. And did he do a lot of litter picking? He did a lot of. Every time I was yeah. watching rugby, he, his bum would usually be out of the hedge looking for litter while I was playing rugby. He never embarrassed me at all. Um, and yeah, he 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 believed that uh, fertilizers were was the death of the English countryside. Really, it's probably I think not some wrong. people sort of half believe that. I mean, what's his 
his best conspiracy theory? Come on. Uh, that Shakespeare was not Shakespeare. It was actually Henry de Vere. And when he was... Oh, le- fabulous. Uh, and when, when he was slightly going old and nutty, he tried to get a friend of mine to hire a JCB and to excavate <laughs> the tomb of Henry de Vere in Hatfield House. And he, yeah. had, to, he had to be who, who was Henry de Vere? Uh, he he okay. He's a lord uh, that that inhabited Hatfield House at the time, and he believed it's a lovely that, house, Hatfield. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, I, d- I don't think it needs a JCB in the middle of the graveyard. Okay, cool. I love the sound of your dad. That's hilarious. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark, straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. You can find us at oriclark.com. What do you think is bullshit in your industry and pourquoi? Look at the French. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed. Well, talking about languages, I think that's exactly it. I think we've lost the art of communication in business. And the fact that nowadays everyone retreats behind emails or some kind of written communication. If you really want to know if someone wants to speak to you, then pick up a phone or meet them. And I just find there's so many people that write an email and sit on the email and go, well, I've done my job. I'm waiting for them to respond to it. No, get on the phone, let's have something decisive, let's actually do something. And I think people have forgotten how to communicate. And it, and it really annoys me. I just watch people just texting incessantly. And they're texting for about five minutes, which I'm pretty sure if they picked up the phone, they could actually get that conversation done with in 10 to 20 yeah, seconds. Yeah. What they haven't worked out is voice notes, right, Andy? Yeah, well, voice notes are good for asynchronous. So, so the music industry, to defend them slightly, uses them a lot because musicians are always like fucking busy and then uh, it's all around the world. So for time zones, voice notes is better. Also, you're talking about something sensitive. You're saying, I don't like the artwork. You text, I don't like the artwork. So kicking off but yeah at least you can still hear the nuance in, 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 yeah. in the noise you north. can but when you look at it and it's like a three minute voice note from Andy you're like oh my god this is going to thanks Pippa thanks <laughs> I get a few as well and there's a time and a place for them in fact yeah. America started off with them and I remember when I was set up the office in New York in 2008 they were, they were using those voice notes then when we were all texting oh interesting I mean I actually think it's a good idea because I hate texting it takes so long to get your thought across. Well, you know, you may not realise we just had the phone training for this. So you're absolutely right because we, you know, hire people at 21 and they don't know how to use the phone. So we literally, and I, we're all as old. You mean people, they don't know how to talk on the phone or they well, literally don't know how to dial? The session was excellent. Everyone really enjoyed it. But yeah, for the old, I don't know what happened in the session, but all old fuckers like us, so we're all like, so what? Like they were like, what? This is where you speak in, and this is where you, hello, hello. You know, it's like watching a three-year-old or something. So I don't think it was that. I think it was. It's probably around confidence training and around that sort of psychological wall about why aren't you? You know, I said it to someone today. Why aren't you picking up? Because I said to my, I do it myself. You do it. We all do it. Surely we all do it. Like you know, maybe you're really good at being a phone person. I have clients who only ever ring me. You bang out a message. You don't want to disturb. Blah blah blah. Oh, I think what I really agree with and what you're saying is you go back to when everyone rang each other, would have, people would have fallen out less, communication was more, more efficient. Yes, you don't want to disturb, but if you start a conversation with, have you got a couple of minutes to chat? Exactly. They can say, also, no, I haven't, I'll call you later, or, you know. That's yeah. the point. You don't you don't always have to answer. And, it, and fine, then you leave a voice message and I'll try again. I think we're doing the training. I bet this is what they were trained on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't feel bad. 
You shouldn't feel bad. I mean, if, if you've got a phone number. It's there. If it's been given out, it's there to be dialed. And if, as you quite rightly said, if they can't pick it up, then they won't pick it up. No. If they do, then just say, have you got a couple of minutes to speak? I'm sure some of it is the kind of millennial and Gen Z thing of of using their mobiles rather than actually having a phone call. But I also think some of it, you're right, is about confidence. But they never have phone calls this generation. They Snapchat. You know that? They never talk on the phone. Yeah, no, I know. I hate talking on the phone. I don't mean to pick on the the generation, because I'm not not saying it's everyone, because I think a lot of people my generation and older are also guilty of doing that. It's much easier to write an email than it is to actually have an uncomfortable conversation with someone. Yeah. But nevertheless, yes, I think it is all about confidence and I think people should be encouraged and trained to be able to speak on the phone because you get a lot more done far quicker. There's a place for emails. If you've got some kind of structure that you need to be able to put in front of someone or your agenda or whatever, there's genuine, it's it's a tool that's there to be used or some kind of written communication. And also in professional services in particular, you need to be able to show the advice that you've given to somebody. Yeah. You know, it's actually a lot easier on the phone because you don't have to write it down but you need to be able to follow that up with we just and there's no problem with following it up with it was great to speak to you just now just to confirm what we talked about blah 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 exactly then you've done both and I mean the written communication tends to just keep expanding the conversation it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then the verbal conversation tends to just push it like we just all want to get the meeting done it's like people are like well what are we let's just decide you know so there's something natural about talking which is about coming to conclusions and there's something natural about writing which is opening up debate Phil, yes. welcome to the 10 second quick fire round. Oh, it's 10 seconds, is it? Yeah, this is where it never actually works out. This is where we're going to ask you a list of questions to get to know you a little better and you have about 10 seconds to answer each question. Antonio, cue the music. What was your first job? Working in a flour mill. Ooh. Oh, nice. Doing what? Sucking up flour at a Hoover and eight eight different stories of a silo. School oh job. God. Okay. Uh, what was your worst job? That one. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, did you have to like carry the Hoover up all the stairs? I had to carry the Hoover up the, the, all the stairs, and we had to uh, we had to suck it all up all the way down to the bottom, and then you'd have a spillage on the sixth floor. It wasn't like a kilo of, of uh, spilt flour. It was six tons of spillage. And all the floors had holes in them, so it would see through, so you have to go and do it again. And that's all I did, all day long. It's a bit of a letdown after all that education, isn't it? You know? It's a <laughs> it, bit was of a ju- like... it was a school job. It was I mean, a school my first job. proper job was Saracens. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Favourite subject at school? Chemistry, because I had a completely nutty professor called Professor Clugston, and he just used to blow everything up. I was rubbish at chemistry, but he blew everything up. It was enjoyable. That sounds great. Mine always went wrong. All my chemistry teachers always try, oh, it's going to be great today. Nothing ever happened. It's very disappointing. Back of chemistry. What's your special skill? Pumpkin carving. Is it really? Yeah, Yeah, I love pumpkin. I mean, I've done Bubba Fett, I've done tigers and dragons and all sorts of things. Wow, have you got any pictures? I have. Can you show us? Yeah, of course. Do you want to see them now? Well, show us afterwards. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, (laughs) What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a racing driver, but my parents said... Formula One. Yeah, Formula One. But my parents said there might be a slight physiological uh, reason why you can't and actually got proven when I was a little bit older I very proudly bought myself a convertible sports car and my wife laughed at me when I came home that why are you laughing you look like Donkey Kong in the Mario Kart <laughs> brilliant uh, what, uh, what did your parents want you to be 
I know what my parents did, wanted me not to be, and that was to be a doctor. And they didn't give me any advice other than that, but they both, in the medical profession, just said, please don't be a doctor, anything else. Your mum was a doctor too? My mum was a doctor, yeah. Yeah, it's quite often doctors get together, because that's all they meet. You know, they're just, not, they're just working all the time at the hospital, you know? What was your go-to karaoke song? Right, so you wouldn't want to hear me uh, sing, but if I were to sing, it would be Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. Oh, that's a nice one, yeah. Okay. That's a good song. I'm, no, I couldn't pick it out of a lineup. Uh, office dogs? <laughs> Business or bullshit? <laughs> uh, un unfair question, considering our present company, but... Um, as we've established, my dad was a bit of a madman and he used to breed dogs at one stage as well. And at one stage, we had 17 dogs in the house because he was a bit rubbish at breeding them because he would fall in love with every single litter and we'd oh end up keeping them. Oh my God, them. I love your dad. He's nuts. <laughs> so uh, I, my job at the end of school would be to pick up dog shit every single day, 17 of them, some of them very large. What, what breeds did you have? Uh, Maremmas, which are Italian sheepdog, um, Bichon Frise, Bolognese, yeah. and Shebas. He was, he was very interesting in breeding stuff or incubating stuff. It, it, yeah, he liked life. And so I'm afraid um, I have to say that neither bullshit or, or business, dog shit. Dog shit, very good. <laughs> have you ever been fired? Yes, move on. <laughs> Ooh. What's your vice? Um, so I'm, I can be very English, and I'd say probably rather than talking about the obvious vices, I say sorry way too often, and it's really irritating. It annoys Jan. Yeah, Jan's come from Prague, and he just said, "Why do you say sorry for everything? You open the door, sorry. You 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 take your lunch out, sorry, and you just say sorry for everything." And I know. I, can't I don't. Get, too. I can't stop doing it. I'm okay with it as a Brit, but what what, what what's the the Czechs must have a faux boil that they do something really. They like, drink far too much beer. Do they? They drink a lot of beer. And somehow stay thin. at lunch. They all the time. I've never seen anyone that thin people just drink so much beer and potatoes and stay thin. How are they doing that? I don't know. I mean, I cleaned out lifting in two years and I put on, I don't know, 10, 15 kilos and just from drinking their beer when I've gone well, gone over to Prague. And they seen those lovely weeks. potatoes with cream on. Yeah, just cream, potatoes, beer. Uh, yeah. And stay thin. Don't like them. Yeah, that, I think those are very fair comments. Have you got any recommendations for things we should read or watch or listen to? So just in terms of, I know my culture's, our, our culture and the company is, is slightly strange and to be able to give some context, there's a book that's really interesting to read around it. It's called Reinventing Organisations by Frederick Laloux. Frederick Laloux. Good name. Any anything else? Any? Um... No, that's that's the main one. I, apart from that, I don't really have a lot of time for what reading. You, what are you watching at the moment? I'm watching a terrible program that I've called Boys. Oh, I quite enjoy that. <laughs> They're superheroes or yeah, something. Yeah, the anti-superheroes. Anti anti it's hilarious. It's not one where he just like gets completely cut in half in like the first yeah, episode. It's, just, yeah. it's the most wrong program yeah, I've ever yeah. seen. You've got Superman just doing wrong stuff. Did you watch Squid Game? No. 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 Oh, okay, well, you haven't watched the amazing Korean Squid Game because Koreans write all sorts of fucked up shit because they've had such a fucked up time, frankly, in the last whatever. But now... Now the Amer Americans have remade it and it's incredibly <laughs> Andy does geopolitics. 
Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the Americans have made it. So, like, they made The Office. Well, they take something actually, it was actually, so it's a series about this whole thing that happens to this guy and there's a game. But now they're playing, so they've got real Americans playing the game in America. But in the game, in the don't people annoying, die? Yeah, but in America, they just get hit with a paint gun. But it's like, you're watching it and you're just, oh, do you know, it's something... I'm sorry, Americans, I love you dearly, but there's something so irritating watching you do sort of mass sport like that. I, I want a bit more sorry. It's, yeah. not, it's not quite enough. Oh, terribly sorry. Do a little plug, is that what we're doing? Yep. You, we'll give you 30 seconds to pitch anything you like. I'll pitch uplifting. If anyone that's listening is involved in in innovation in app or software development, I'd really strongly encourage you to see how we work in uplifting. Come and experience it firsthand. Uh, our amazing people and what they can what they can do and deliver so there you have it that was this week's episode of business without bullshit we'll be back with our quiz business or bullshit on thursday thank you phil thank you pippa thank you antonio thank you romeo until then is ciao